Hebrews chapter 11. We're studying the Christian spiritual life in um, the Family Bible Hour and also our Wednesday night study, the Christian spiritual life or the doctrine of New Testament or church age sanctification, what God is doing in us in this age. And it's a to- this is a doctrine that isn't well known or discussed. It's challenging to compare Old Testament with New Testament and what it was like back then. We don't have a lot of information about what they were doing back then besides their instructions and whether they obeyed it. Um, but we have so much in the New Testament about God's expectations. And I believe very strongly that in Acts chapter 2, something new happened. God the Son came, he suffered for us, he was buried and he rose from the grave on the third day. And then he ascended to the glory of the Father, to the right hand of the Father. And this is a unique thing, if you think about it. He was always at the right hand of the Father as the Son of God, but now there's something new. Humanity is in the position of glory at the right hand of the Creator. Humanity. And I I know Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the Creator. But in his humanity, he is glorified and exalted. This is the consequence of the resurrection and the ascension. This is new. This was never true before. And Jesus promised his disciples that he would send another tutor. Yes. Can we, I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting ahead of steam here. I need to back up a little bit. Isaiah and anyone else that's involved with children's ministry downstairs, <laughs> could you play? Could you play for him down there? And um, and uh, go on down. We're gonna we're gonna sing and practice and um, and have children's children's Bible time. I just messed that up. See if I wait a long time, the people online think there's a bunch of kids leaving, and that's that's anyway. Um, <laughs> Now, <clears throat> when Jesus Christ assumed this position of honor and glory in, in his humanity at the right hand of the Father, this had never been done before. And what he told his disciples in, in the upper room discourse, which we all know as John chapters 13 through 17, he told them that something new would happen. And a lot of the substance of that last night of teaching, the last instruction before his crucifixion, the, the, the seed that is the, the beginning of the New Testament epistles, in their doctrine from the Lord Jesus. And that's why the Christian life of Paul, that's why we, we listen to the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament. They're coming from Christ. They're under the apostles. This, this new thing involves what happened at Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came to abide in us. He who has been with you, says Jesus, will be in you. And this is the defining feature of this age. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 12. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. And this unites us to Jesus Christ in a special way that was never true before. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it means you're part of the body of Christ. And it means that there is is something new in terms of God's expectations and power. I believe that when Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. This is an advance on his expectations for Israel in the Ten Commandments. I believe Jesus successfully summarized the Ten Commandments when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, Deuteronomy 6, and love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. I think he is summarizing the first four commandments of no other gods, no idols, don't take the name casually or in vain, and do not um, uh, work six days and and rest one day because you belong to the Creator. It's all relationship with God. And then the six are all how we treat people for God's sake. Remember the Ten Commandments. That's 
how we treat God and how we treat man. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. This is how Jesus summarized the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments certainly do that. It is not the full substance of the law, but it is the summary. And so what you find, what you find is Jesus saying, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think he is talking about what Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I've loved you. And the reason that's in advance, in my understanding on love your neighbor as yourself is the standard and the extent to which you do it. Love one another as I have loved you. So now I'm no longer looking at what I do for me. I'm no longer looking at what I get. So other people I share and I, you know, cut my hamburger in half and you get what I get. It's beyond that. I don't get a hamburger. I love you self-sacrificially. And that's the cross work of Christ where he takes your sins on himself to get you for himself. This is a love that goes beyond what we're capable of in the flesh. It's beyond what was commanded in the, in the law, in the Mosaic law, and it is the law of Christ. And this is only possible if you have the Holy Spirit. I, in my understanding, I believe it is absolutely essential that this be the work of the Spirit in you. And I'll give you an example. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who now lives in you and didn't live in people before, not, not everybody. There was a few people that had a, a special work of the Spirit like David and Moses and Bezalel and some. But every believer now has the Holy Spirit because every believer is responsible to love to the extent and capacity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a higher calling. This is an awesome opportunity. And I believe that, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian spirituality. Ordinary people with the power of God doing extraordinary loving work. That's the Christian spiritual life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through us. And we're talking in this little section of the Christian spirituality discussion about faith. How does faith intersect with this discussion of the walk by the Spirit? I think it's a really important question to ask and to answer, and it has been mishandled in my opinion. Some have said that's all there is, as you're just trusting in God, and you're just trusting in the Holy Spirit, and that's what it is. It's just trusting. It's just faith. And I think that, no, there's more to it than just reposing my trust in someone. I read in James 2 that if I'm trusting the one who has commanded me, that he is God, that he has my best, that he loves me, that he wants me to thrive and to succeed, then I'm going to follow through on that faith with something that goes beyond faith, but is produced by faith. And that is the obedience that he, that he, to do what he said, to love. Love is a command. Okay, And so I think faith is vital, but it isn't everything. It's, it's the generator. It's the generator. In Hebrews 11, if you want to talk about faith and the Christian spiritual life, you go to Hebrews 11. And specifically, there are a couple of verses I want to highlight in thinking this through with you. Now, we've looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 7, just in passing. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we said in our culture today, walking by faith is harder to do because there's so much to look at. And what you find is as you look and look and look and look and look. Gentlemen, we're attacked with our eye gates constantly, constantly being attacked with what we see. When you look with your eyes and you get consumed and you get distracted and diverted, you start thinking differently and you find yourself in death 
I think Romans chapter 8, the mindset of the flesh is death. But we get sucked in, and this is distraction. We walk by faith, not by sight. But I want to see. And guess what one of the greatest challenges to gospel ministry is today? Well, if we could just see. That's what the people say. Because they think they see everything. They think they've seen atoms because they've seen an electron scanning microscope. They think they've seen uh, black holes because someone told them, well, there's a, there's a radio telescope that registered a difference and we can depict it this way for visual. No, no one has seen this. We, we, have, we have been given rendering suggesting this is what we think accounts for what we are determining in, in our uh, fluctuations of electromagnetic uh, uh, energy. <laughs> but we've seen it. That we, we really haven't seen much that we think we've seen. What I'm trying to say is that um, Paul had it right and, and he had enough in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to be successful as a believer and you and I do too if we walk by faith, not by sight. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for in Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is, I believe you have, not a definition but a description of faith. That'll be, that'll be an interesting thing. Some of you are like, wait a second. I have always defined faith in Hebrews 11. okay. But I think, I think you, you ought to be careful about this because there's a difference between describing something and defining something, saying what the very essence of the thing is. Faith is trust. That's what it means. It means, it means the recognition that someone else is faithful. We, we did that Wednesday night with Amon and uh, Pistuo in Greek and Hebrew. It, it means the same thing in both uh, Old Testament and New Testament because the one grows out of the other. And so what we're talking about is what, it, what it's like. It's assurance. It's it's, it carries a measure of certainty of things hoped for. Now, the word hope, that is a technical term in the New Testament because it's a Greek word. It's not an English word, and it has nothing to do with the Hallmark card, right? Hope is expectation in the New Testament. Did you know that? Did you know that hope is expectation? That means I have to know something that somebody has said that I have to then expect them to do for me to be hoping, Hope, see, we, we use hope as an uncertainty. But he says, thing, it's, the, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I want to get all technical with that. I really do. I'm not going to, but I want to. Because one translation says the evidence of things not seen. I'm like, well, the conviction is a huge difference from evidence, the way we think about these things. But what he's saying is there is a certainty that doesn't depend on my observation. There is a knowing, there is an awareness, there is a focus and, uh, and, and it, is, it causes a real consequence in the heart of man. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Now, this is the big point I want to make today about Christian spirituality, walking in fellowship with God, walking in the light in 1 John 1, and faith. For by faith, the men of old gained approval. I wonder if this doesn't register much today in our consciousness as, as a people. Think about it. By this work of faith, or not work, but this act of faith, this faith, men of old gained approval. Why does that, uh, why does that not really compute today? If you might discuss with me a little bit. I've been preaching a little bit. Let's uh, interact a little bit. Switch methods, change, change, which has shifted from sixth gear to seventh gear on our 10 speed, okay? What is the difference between what he says, by faith, men of old gained assurance, and the culture you and I live in today. Gained approval, gained approval. 
If you tell somebody, well, by faith, you can gain approval. The, old, the men of old gained approval with God. Why is that um, a clunker in your culture? Why is that a clunker in our own hearts sometimes? We don't even think about it. We're not taught history in schools. Okay. And the average pulpit pastor does not teach scripture. Okay. So there's a, there's a problem in the secular world, a problem in the church, okay, with the lack of instruction. I'll go with that. What's that? We're skeptics. Everybody's skeptics. Now, I want you to listen to the sentence. I, I wanted to put this on paper, but I didn't get to it. But here, I want you to hear this. By faith, men of old gained approval. Yeah. I think that's the big summary problem. We don't approval. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I, I can look in the mirror. I'm fine with myself. The idea that there is a creator to whom I'm responsible is the reason for atheism. We don't want to submit to a creator. I believe Paul in Romans 1 says there's no such thing as atheism. He didn't say it that way, but he says everyone knows they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Like a beach ball, you're holding under the, under the pool water. It's hard to hold that ball down after a while. It's gonna, it's gonna bubble up. Somebody's gonna say, well, that's not right. Like, wait, wait, on what basis would you say some, such and such is unfair treatment or, or wrong? Give me a, a moral justification for that claim. Well, it's just not right. Everybody knows that. Oh, so everybody knows. That's not a good justification. So what we're saying is the idea that I have to gain approval from someone, that's a clunker. We're not, we're not here to be people pleasers, <laughs> right? I think this is central to your spiritual life, that I'm actually seeking God's approval. I want him to look at what I think, say, do, who I am, and not because, listen carefully, not just in my position in Christ, he sees Christ, but in how I carry out that position in my choices, that who he's making me, that he looks at me with approval in my, in my practice. Not, don't take anything away from your position. I'm saying you're supposed to live it out. Now, what, what does it look like? Is God approving of your priorities, use of time? right? Is, is he approving of, of well, that's a great thought, isn't it? The God of our imagination, this is where we get legalistic and we imagine God and we make him a super me. And you're like, yeah, he really loves me. He's, he's got, good to go. And that, that's the problem of the ignorance of the word. And I see it. I see it a lot where we imagine what we think God should be like. And then we say, I'm good with that. That's an idol of your mind. What does God really think is evident in the scriptures, but that would require some attention. By this thing, this faith, the men of old gained approval. Now everybody knows Hebrews 11 is, what's Hebrews 11, the chapter? Yeah, the hall of faith. Hall of faith, sounds like hall of fame. Hall of fame of faith, hall of faith of fame. What what is going on, hall of faith? It's It's the record of all the Old Testament saints not all of them, but a lot of them, and some are surprising that they're in the list, like Samson, who are uh, approved by God because of their faith, and, it, and you can see their faith in their practices, and they're used as an example for us in our faith. For by this thing of faith, the, old, the men of old gained approval. Now, here's my big summary of your Christian spiritual life and the need for faith, is it has to have an object. 
to exercise this thing that I daily, moment by moment will do, which is trusting in God, faith in him. I have to have an object for my faith. That's why saturation with the word. Because by the word, I see him. And that's the only way I get to see him. That's his design. I want to see him. I want to see him. Harrison Ford once said, you want to see God? Let's go see him right now. I have nothing better to do. 1982, anybody? Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was a pretty good movie. I want to see him. See, this is how you see him. We walk, but we walk, see him. You walk by faith, not by sight. This is how you can know him, by what he said. And if I have that saturation with the word, then I have a basis for my focus and my faith. Common experience, isn't it? Time out of the word. I got busy. We had a luncheon. There was a thing. So-and-so's birthday. I'm typing here. And then I, uh, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had to fix the car. And um, we, uh, I just didn't feel good that day. And I tried, but I just wasn't into it. And, and excuse, excuse, excuse. Well, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about excuses. I'm saying at, at the end of that, before we hit carriage return on that life, pretty soon I think everyone here knows what it's like to walk in darkness. I, I don't thinking about him. I'm not trusting him. He's irrelevant to my life. I got real things. I got people that need, need my attention. I got to talk to so-and-so. I got I to take care of this job or that thing. And, and that's where real life is. And all of a sudden we're walking by sight, not by faith. And see, that it's the vi- what's missing. And that huge thing was the word, a saturation. This is why, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you is Paul's command in Colossians that echoes, be filled by the Spirit in Ephesians 5. It's a saturation with the word of God and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, that gives you this vital, living mindset of the Spirit, which is life in Romans 8, in those early verses of Romans 8, which we're studying second hour. And so, there's the, there's the differential. You're probably dealing with Christians in your life that need help and counsel who are just wondering, I just don't know what to do. And this is the message that they need. It sounds to me like the well's dry. It sounds to me, I don't, I'm not judging you, but I'm just wondering how much time are you really spending with your God in hearing who he is and what he said and then in talking to him about it as he commands us to pray without ceasing. How much of this real spiritual life are you living? See, that's probably the problem when I counsel myself. Every hammer, uh, I'm sorry, everybody's, every problem's the nail and I've got a hammer, it's the word, you know, solve that. In the army, it's drink water. <laughs> So-and-so's having problems, first thing, hey, drink water. Almost everybody needs to anyway, you're always dehydrated, so you always need to drink some water. Your canteen's full. No, my, my canteen's ready. Oh, go fill up your canteens and then drink water. See, it's, but it's, it's really nice that the Lord gave us the Bible. And then we can say this is probably what's missing. But see, that, that's, but it's not just to be in the Word for legalistic purpose. I just did my hour of Bible reading or something. It's, it's so that I can trust Him, so that I can exercise this faith in who He is and what He said. Let me show you what he's, what he, how, how I mean that. In verse 3, by faith we understand. <laughs> by faith we understand. Did you, did you catch that? 
I just don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on with my life. I just, I don't know. I don't have any answers. Hey, if you're a masochist, I mean, I, I know some spiritual masochists. They like to hurt. They like to wallow in that suffering, baby. Mm, I got me some drama to mess up everybody's life around me with right now. Spiritual masochists. Masochists means somebody that likes to hurt. I don't like to hurt, but I like to, I kind of do. I, 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 I like to, to bring others, you know, the misery loves company, all that. Hey, by faith, we understand. Do you really want to know? Do you really want to, to get some perspective? By faith, we understand what? That the worlds, I would translate that ages because um, that's a better translation, but they were created or prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What is seen is made out of things which are vis- was not made out of things which are visible. What does that mean? Ex nihilo creation. It's the reference to the creation and the sustainment of reality. Reality. This is a y'all ready for a big word? What's the big word that I'm talking about? We're talking about the nature of reality. Anybody thirty or under can answer that question. The nature of reality. Yes. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mike thought he thought I meant people that had been sitting in these pews for under 30 years and he said well I mean a little over <laughs> was, it, was it 40 years now here yeah when I first got here Mike and Sue were like we've been going here for 30 something years and now that it's been almost 12 years for me I I'll always think of you as the guy that's been here for 30 years but now it's more like 40 because I've been here for 10 so anyway um yeah um it's metaphysics. Christians can't talk about these things. This is stuff that the, the psychology, sorry, the philosophy departments talk about. They have to talk about meta- it is. It really is. By faith, we understand that everything that exists was made out of things that don't exist, or that, that aren't visible. That are, everything you can see was made out of something or by someone you can't see. And so that's the nature of reality is before the stuff, before the matter, there's a creator who, who put it all together. And we understand that. How do we understand that? How, how do you understand that? All together now, how do we understand that God created everything out of nothing? By faith. And so that, now doesn't that feel like I'm trying to build a, a ladder out of, out of thin air? I'm trying to climb on something that isn't stable? No, the stability is that God has told you. The stability is that you have a creator who has revealed himself in Christ and in the word. And so what you find is that it's what you're made for. I'm supposed to believe and that become foundational. Now, guess what happens? I'll show you the power of this in terms of human design. I can, we can drive down the road. These people have faith, baby. These people down the street believe Jesus isn't God (laughs) and uh, some other things and they are committed to it and they will do your roof for you. If you'll join them, <laughs> well, whether you join them or not, they'll do your roof. But I'm just saying, like, if any of you need your roof done, please don't go ask them to help you with your roof. But I'm just saying that they, they really believe what they're selling, that Jesus isn't God. And, and that's the reason for them to exist is the claim that Jesus is not divine, the very essence of the Father. But they believe it. And they fill up and they do work and they pr- pr- promote and they go on mission trips and 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 others like them that America has cursed the world with. Faith is powerful. 
even when it's in a wrong object. But what we're reading here is that our faith is to be in God and in what he's told us because we're, we're, we're trusting him. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. That faith of Abel that's been done for a few thousand years (laughs) is still speaking through the word because of that faith of Abel. It's, It's a testimony for us. Now, how did Abel offer this sacrifice that was the desirable sacrifice to God? How did he do it? It's an open book quiz. How did, how did Abel offer this sacrifice? Okay. I mean, grammatically, how did he offer it in uh, Hebrews 11.4? By faith. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, come on. We want to get some depth here. It, it's by faith. The depth is that the sacrifice was not the faith. The faith produce the sacrifice. There's a difference between the two things. By faith, he offered the sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now, we've already heard about pleasing to God or um, finding approval in verse two. And so we see the whole deal with approval for Enoch is his faith. Your dad wants you to trust him. And when you do, he likes that. He approves of that. That's something that delights him. That's relationship with God. That's how we relate to him. And so our crowning verse of Hebrews 11, verse 6. This is something you need to think about in terms of your spiritual life. The spiritual life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. That's the first mindset. And then what are we doing with God? Well, we're trying to please him. We want to be approved by him. So in verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I, like the, I think that diligently is in the original. Those who seek after him, and it's hard sometimes, Sometimes the world seems overwhelming and the arguments against seem unassailable. And they're assailable. They're really easily defeated, just not in our brains. We're, we're limited. The original error in the human race by the woman was the assumption that I can reason apart from God's revelation. Genesis chapter 3 serpent says you will not die for God knows then when you eat, that when you eat from the tree of knowledge you'll be like God knowing good and evil I've called that the diabolical implication diabolical means from the devil Satan's implication it means it means that he's not saying it directly he's he's giving you the breadcrumbs where you can connect the dots and see what he's saying Satan's implication in that God knows that when you eat from the tree that he said not to eat, that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Satan is saying what about God? What is the claim being made about the creator who loves you? The creator we're being encouraged to be pleasing to. What are we saying about that creator? What is Satan saying about the creator? What is this diabolical implication? 
He's not trustworthy. Yeah, what else? God knows that when you eat from this tree, you'll be like him. What's he saying? He's not good. Why not? What's, what's not good about him? He's holding back the cookies. He has a whole jar of cookies and he eats them all the time and he doesn't share his cookies with you. That's what he's saying. He's saying God isn't, isn't fair in the sense that God is holding back something that could make you more and he's keeping it for himself. And that's the problem with him. He's, basically, God is stingy. God isn't promoting you. God is holding you back. There's more that you could be if only you would directly disobey the only prohibition he's given you. <laughs> he told you have, have it all, just not this, trust me. Now in that moment, the woman is deceived. She's encouraged, as we read in Genesis 3, to look, to reason, to conclude for herself. This is very important apologetically. She is not a fallen person. She's not a sinner with a sinful nature, but she is capable of sin. I believe in the resurrection, we will be incapable of sin, but, but this is the woman's experience. She is capable of rebellion against God, and it is that what's going on in her mind as she listens to his words, to the serpent's words. She is swallowing the hook that I just tried to tease out with you that God isn't good. She swallowed that, and now she's going, well, maybe, she, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no, we'll see. She becomes a scientist, and she's going to do an experiment. She's her own test subject. It's a horrible project. She found out she knew good and evil, but she wasn't like God. And then she passed it on. Here, honey. What's the point? The point is that everybody you and I know is trying to reason independently of God. And if you could just show me God, then I would know. But by faith, we understand he created the universe. And more importantly, God isn't trying to please you. God isn't setting things up to please you so that he'll show up and say, well, here, here's what I got for you. What do you think? Ta-da! I can, do, I can tap dance. I can do anything you want. That's not the arrangement. God is calling you to be what you're designed to be to please him, his creature, his child. It's a totally reverse way of thinking. See, the woman did not understand, Isha did not understand there in the garden that her whole deal was to be pleasing to God and that this would be not pleasing to him. There was a, there was a misunderstanding or a, a, a misdirection there. It's a problem. So everybody we know is thinking this way and they're missing the answer. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Oh, that's what I'm here for. You know what? All our friends that are, that are, that are just starving, they're, they're dying of thirst for the word of God, they're also completely disconnected from the idea of pleasing God. Even religious zealots that are doing religious things to get God's attention, they're still just trying to satisfy themselves deep down. I just have a good feeling when I do good things. But if you really want to please God, you, gotta, you have to go about it his way. And it begins 
for everyone with faith, but it doesn't stop there. Hebrews, I believe, is written to Christians and they need to trust the one who made them. Now, what is the point of faith in Hebrews 11.6? What do you believe? He is. <clears throat> Has that been a challenge for you in your spiritual life as a believer at times? It's a challenge. If you haven't been chall- thusly challenged, then you're, um, you're probably due for one. Sometimes faith is a choice. I think there's always a volitional component, but I mean, sometimes it's very evident that God, I'm trusting you here. I, I have to help me, help me, tr- help me, help me trust you. I trust you, help me trust you more. Believe that he is, and he's a rewarder. There's the woman's thing. God is holding back the goods. He's a rewarder of those who go after him. Now, what's the reward? What's the reward? If you pursue him and you get what you're pursuing, then you get him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. What's the, what's the, what's the psalm? Um, delight yourself in the Lord is the command. What's the promise? There's a command and promise. I love this. It's a great little parallel. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Anybody figure out the riddle there? I want a sailboat and I want a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip and I want I want a Turbo 911 and I want and I want and I want and I want and I want. Whatever, no, some legitimate stuff. A family. I want a wife. I want a, I want a good job. I want to enjoy the work I do. I want my life to count. All these things that we want that are legitimate wants. But that's not what Psalm, the Psalm there is talking about. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desire of your heart. What's the desire of your heart if you're delighting in the Lord? Him. What does Jesus say about these needs in Matthew 6? Yeah. Make, make it, what's your priority? What are you focused on? Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. See, that's the, that's the, um, the, the issue in trusting God and seeking after him is I really want this relationship. I think that the nexus between faith and the spiritual walk by the walk by the spirit is not that we're just trusting in the spirit, okay? There's also obedience and there's a faithful obedience and a, an obedience of faith in doing what he said. Like it'll be evident to you at times when I could love this person self-sacrificially, but I don't want to. And there's an opportunity and, a, and my conscience is telling me to because it's been primed by the word of God and the Holy Spirit is prompting me to by all that I've learned about the Lord Jesus Christ but I don't feel like it. And now there's a choice that I have to make to love and submit to God. And there may be some, you need to do some prayer on that. But you're gonna be aware of the time when you need to obey based on the faith that you have in God and what he's commanding you. And that's mature. That's a mature process. Paul prays for the Thessalonians, their love would grow, increase and abound for one another. That's what spiritual growth involves is the expression of the Holy Spirit in us as we come to know him better and better. So the nexus of faith and the spiritual life is that it's every, it's every step we take. The reason for the word is so that we'll know God. And what we do with the word is we believe it. We trust in God by trusting in what the God of the word has given us in the word. And that's how you access the scriptures. It's not, and, and th- this is why academics is often so confused. A lot of theological academics is not in faith. 
It's the woman trying to establish whether or not God is good. And it's, it's useless. There's no approval there and there's no understanding. By faith, we understand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the nexus, for the relationship between obedience to you and bringing you glory and trusting you. Thank you that this is where we rest. We rest our faith in what you've said, both in who you are and what you have told us about yourself and what you expect of us. Father, we believe that we are responsible to love as Christ is loved. We believe that the Holy Spirit can bring forth the character of your Son and the fruit of righteousness in our experience. We believe these things. And now, Father, we want to walk by faith and obedience. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.